people are selling themselves short and setting their bars too low of, of what they could actually do if they went all in on something, whatever they're psyched about, to just see what happens if they invest a little more time and energy into it. I mean, our minds are so powerful. So even just like changing the storyline makes it a whole different game. So I call it the pain cave, that place. And uh, I guess probably four or five years ago, I viewed the pain cave as like this place that you should try to put off as long as possible in a race. Like make your pain cave be as far away from you as you can. And if you arrive to it, then you just sit in it and you try and survive the pain cave. But in the past couple of years, I mean, it's just a mindset, right? It's like all in our heads, this thing. And uh, in the past couple of years, it's been the place I want to get to. So like changing it to a place where I get to celebrate that I made it there. And then that's where the work actually happens. So making the pain cave bigger is how I view it instead of like pushing the pain cave away. Yeah, and all, I mean, it's just telling myself a different story about that place where it hurts so bad, you know, where before it was like surviving it. And now it's like, this is so cool. We made it here and now we work. I'm Courtney Dualter and this is the Rich Roll Podcast. Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Rich Roll. I am your host. And my guest today is the world's best female ultra runner, straight up. And when it comes to the really long stuff, races 200 miles and longer, this person is arguably the best, period. Lover of nachos, fashion icon, joke teller. Courtney Dewalter is a humble master of mental grit and boundary-busting physical prowess, and honestly, just really fun to hang out with. In addition to being named one of the 50 fittest athletes in the world by Sports Illustrated and a two-time ultra runner of the year, among Courtney's countless wins and many accomplishments, she was the overall winner including beating all the men at the Moab 240 in 2017, a race she won by an absolutely mind-blowing 10 hours. What else? Earlier this year, she won the last man standing Big Dog Backyard Ultra by clocking 283 miles, again, beating all the men as well. She also won the women's division of the Western States 100 in 2018. She broke the Tahoe 200 female course record in 2018 by 18 plus hours. She was the fastest female at UTMB in 2019, perhaps the world's most prestigious ultra. The other week, however, subsequent to this conversation, which was recorded at the beginning of June, Courtney had a bit of a rough go of it at the Hard Rock 100 dropping out around mile 62 due to some stomach issues, but she will be towing the start line at UTMB on August 23rd. This one is fun. It was a total honor to spend time with Courtney and it's all coming up in a few, but first. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. 
I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm going to tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia, and he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but basically you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code richroll for 15% off your first purchase. Meditation has been a recurring theme on this podcast dating back to its beginnings. And in conversation always leads people to asking me about the best way to begin. There are no shortage of modalities of resources and apps available. I have experience with many of them, but my mainstay, I have to say, the one that I have found most useful is waking up. 
It's this unique treasure trove of wisdom that has become so important to my daily routine that the app finds itself right in the dock of my phone for immediate fingertip access. Beyond its robust catalog of daily meditations, it's also this extraordinary library of mindfulness resources that go well beyond the strictures of meditation with courses on stoicism, cognitive behavioral therapy, time management, procrastination, as well as thoughtful conversations with leading scholars on everything from psychedelics to happiness. It really is one of the most worthy investments you can make in yourself. And listeners of the show can get 30 days to try waking up for free. Plus, you'll save $30 on the in-app price. If price is a concern, Waking Up offers the app for free, astonishingly for anyone who can't afford it. You can find the links on their website to get a full scholarship right now. Just go to wakingup.com slash richroll to start your free month today. That's wakingup.com slash richroll. The thing about Courtney is this is a person who lives in the moment. She's a doer. She doesn't overthink things. She trains on feel, on intuition. She eats what she wants and she does it all with joy, with an infectious smile and, and a really laudable degree of humility and perspective. But I think behind it all is a very particular mental fortitude, an unreal capacity for suffering and a drive to test the very limits of human capability. Today, we dive into all of it. She is a true delight. She's a good sport. And uh, I should say that when we wrapped, I had the rare good fortune to hit the trails with her and our mutual friend, Billy Yang, which was fun, also humbling, but a treat for sure. So that's it, let's go. This is me and Courtney DeWalter. All right, all right, all right. You're actually here. Oh, geez. <laughs> oh, that's so Minnesota. <laughs> right out of Fargo. <laughs> I, I love Minnesota and I love Minnesotan sayings. So yeah. I'll see how many I can sneak yeah, in. Yeah, I was like, weave them in. Weave yeah. them in whenever you want to. It's so nice to meet you. Thank you for coming out to do this. I, I really appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this for a very long time. Yeah, thank you. How are you feeling these days? Good. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited. The snow is starting to melt in Colorado. So, well, it's June, I hope. Yeah. It takes a while. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's getting warm out there. You're totally healed up after the Colorado Trail bronchitis episode. Yeah. Totally healed up. I um, probably only had a couple months where I noticed that in my lungs last mm -hmm. year. And then, um, yeah, it was kind of like all green lights once they right. healed. And you're getting ready to tackle a pretty auspicious double. You're gonna do UTMB in August or in Hard Rock 100 in July 1st, right? And then right on the back of that a month later, UTMB. Yeah, 200 mile races. Um, it'll be really cool. Short ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't, I mean, it's just a fun challenge. I think they're like, six weeks apart. Mm -hmm. um, so I have no idea what the time between will look like. I think mm. I'll just kind of figure that out as I go and um, try to be ready to rumble at both of them. Mm -hmm. When you say you have no idea, that's sort of revealing <laughs> in terms of your approach to your training, right? Yeah. Like you're, you're this intuitive when it comes to how you approach your routine. 
Correct. Yeah, there's no plan. That's so crazy. <laughs> you literally, do you wake up in the morning and then make the decision or do you plan the day before? Or do you plan a week? I mean, you must have a general idea other than like, okay, you know, I typically put in a hundred miles a week. You must have a little bit more of a specific sense of what you're trying to accomplish. Like walk me <laughs> yeah. through this so I, I better understand because you play it off like with this very aw shucks, you know, disposition, <laughs> but I know there's more going on. Nope, it's all aw shucks. Um, <laughs> no, I, so every day I do wake up and after drinking coffee, I'll figure out what I'm doing that day. Mm -hmm. There's no like, uh, there's no plan going into a week what the days might hold, but I will know when races are and I will know like when I can go kind of hog wild with training and when I should, you know, pull in the reins a little bit and be smart because there's a race coming up or I should focus on something specific like climbing in the mountains or trying right. to run a little bit faster. So I'll know those things. It's not totally winging it in that way, but every single day um, it's deciding how I feel physically and mentally to determine what the run will be. Mm. Is there any scheduling of like, okay, on these days, I typically go longer and these are more tempo days or technique days or speed focused days? Not really. Or you just go out and go long pretty much and just switch up the terrain based upon what you're training for. Yeah, a lot of the days are just long days, um, but I'll do intervals and stuff. I sometimes won't even know when those are going to happen once I'm on the run. Uh -huh. There's just a few routes that I'll do where there's a hill that I really like to do intervals on. So if I get to that spot on the route and I feel it, then I'll pop some into it. And if not, then mm. I just carry on. And does that come into play? Like you, it doesn't appear that you've ever overtrained, right? Do you know when to back off so you don't kind of tip over into that terrain where you're gonna wear yourself down too much and not be able to recover? Is that all on feel as well? Or have you just not, you have such a capacity, you're such a workhorse that you've never hit that place? Uh, no, I've made mistakes for sure, or um, just tried to keep loading it on. But I think that's part of what I like about not having a plan is that I get to just figure it out by making those mistakes. Mm -hmm. So run myself into a ground one week and realize like that was a few too many miles. So now I can go from there and uh, try and, you know, hone in on what I'm doing a little bit. And no coach input. No, no. no. <laughs> I did though. I mean, I grew up with fantastic coaches. Uh -huh. So in high school and in college, I, um, worked with some amazing people. And I think like they showed me all the types of workouts that you can be doing. It wasn't for ultra running, mm -hmm. but um, like I'll still draw on that and, and use some of what I learned from them to decide what I might do. What's interesting about that is you have a science background, you were a yeah. science teacher, <laughs> right? So why not avail yourself of like the science, like, like, oh, periodization seems to work or maybe you're already doing that, I don't know. But, you know, there's a lot of athletes and you see this much more in, in track and field or in triathlon than you do in trail running where people get really into the graphs, you know, and the heart rate and the power output and, you know, all these, all these data points around sleep performance and all of that and, and you know, get, 
mired in, in that in terms of trying to figure out how to crack the code on training. Yeah, that's exactly what I don't want. Right, <laughs> in your scientific approach. Yeah. <laughs> because why not? I, I mean, I'm having so much fun with how it is right now and I don't have a reason to change it. I also, I don't know, I, I think that without a plan, I do much better actually listening to my body. So mm. I pay more attention if there's no schedule and there's no workout written down, then I can really tune in and uh, react you know, if it's an off day, then I don't do a workout. Right, I don't you can pull do the, a run. You have no problem like pulling the plug. Yeah, and I don't yeah. feel any guilt because there was nothing planned anyways. I don't know um, because I haven't had a plan or a coach in ultra running, but I feel like I could get like really attached to it if I had it and then disregard, you know, any symptoms mm-hmm. or signs that I should mm-hmm. change course. Mm. Right, thinking, oh, I need to accomplish this because the coach said, this is what I need yeah. to do. And then that that ends up corrupting this sort of perfect situation that you have for yourself. It's not perfect, but I think if it's fun and I'm enjoying every day and I'm still like, I'm still getting in the miles and the workouts that I'd like, then I'm gonna stick with it for now. Mm. I can see tons of benefits of having a coach, uh, but for now I would, Keep it this way. Yeah. It's working, yeah. right? <laughs> Don't mess with it. Uh, I do think that that happiness piece is a big part of your secret sauce. Like you're able to find the joy in all facets of this. And that seems to be like fuel, right? A lot of people in, in this subculture, they, you know, are powered by, oh, it's the grit and how hard it is. And I'm gonna really embrace the suffering and, and not from a, a victimhood place, but, but kind of like a more hardcore relationship to the difficulty of completing these races and the training that goes into them. And you're just having fun like all the time. <laughs> like Billy Yang is here and, and I texted him the other day and I told him you were coming and he's like, oh, it's so great. 100% approval rating in the trail community. <laughs> like there's nobody that doesn't love Courtney. And no matter how hard the race is or whatever you're enduring internally, you always have a smile on your face. You always have a moment to give a high five to a little kid or to say a nice thing to a volunteer on the course. And that takes you know, a, a conscious effort. Like there's a certain disposition that you have that seems to be unwavering. Well, thank you. I, uh, it's, we're so lucky to be able to choose something like this to do with our time. So I think if you're not having fun with it, then um, I don't know, maybe reconsider some things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but fun isn't, I mean, it is fun and everything about trail running is awesome, but for a lot of people, fun isn't in like the top five uh, adjectives, you know, <laughs> how they describe their participation in this. So yeah. how do you keep that in check? It's just, it's just natural to you, right? Must be Minnesota. Yeah. We- <laughs> I like how you don't seem to overthink things too much. <laughs> you know, I think that's also, uh, there's, a, there's a lesson in that, right? Like you just, you're having fun, you go out, you train really hard, you go in with a smile, you're a competitor, but in the in your in your kind of list of priorities, like keeping it fun, keeping it light, staying present with what you're doing seems to, you know, be the priority. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure 
every interview you do, they ask you, you know, how come you're so much better than everyone else, <laughs> right? And you always have a very diplomatic uh, response to that, <laughs> but I don't wanna let you off the hook on this. Like as somebody who's crushed it, you know, there's these famous stories about you winning the Moab 240 by 10 hours and all these other, you know, races that you've destroyed everybody, men included. You seem to sort of shrug it off, but you must think at some point, like how come this is the case? Like what is, when you go to sleep at night, do you, does it ever, like, do you ever ponder, like what is the differentiator between you and your fellow competitors? <laughs> no, I don't ponder. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I mean, I think like everyone can be pushing themselves. So I don't, I can't compare like what it's like in someone else's body or head mm -hmm. and then what's going on in mine. So I have no idea, but I do know like, I enjoy that place that we get to go to in these ultras where it hurts really bad. I think that's pretty cool. And uh, I mean, that's gotta help like not avoiding it, but wanting to get to it mm -hmm. has gotta be like factored in there somehow. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's go a little bit deeper. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about what that is when you reach that point or that limit or that place where you feel like you can't put one foot in front of the other. Like, what is the, what is the like the the lesson that you find for yourself in that? So I call it the pain cave, that place. And uh, I guess like probably four or five years ago, I viewed the pain cave as like this place that you should try to put off as long as possible in a race, like make your pain cave be as far away from you as you can. And mm -hmm. if you arrive to it, then you just sit in it and you try and survive the pain cave. Um, but in the past couple of years, I mean, it's just a mindset, right? It's like all in our heads, this thing. And uh, in the past couple of years, it's been the place I want to get to. So like changing it to a place where I get to celebrate that I made it there. And then that's where the work actually happens. Mm -hmm. So making the pain cave bigger is how I view it instead of like pushing the pain cave away. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, I mean, our minds are so powerful. So even just like changing the storyline makes it a whole different game. Right. So what is the story that you, like what is the the script that you flip when you're when you're in that, headspace and it's getting really hard. Yeah, it's like, perfect. This is what we wanted. Like mm -hmm. now we get to actually do the hard work of making the cave bigger. And so it's like picturing a chisel and just like making tunnels in my pain cave in my brain. Right. <laughs> you actually visualize that? Yeah, yeah. I'm super visual. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. It makes it very visceral and like yeah. real. If you can, it's not just a mantra and mantras are great. I'm sure you have mantras, but actually creating that three-dimensional image in your mind. Yeah. Yeah, and all, I mean, it's just telling myself a different story about that place where it hurts so bad, you know, where before it was like surviving it. And now it's like, this is so cool. We made it here and now uh -huh. we, we work. Yeah. It's funny, I've, I've been doing this podcast thing for 
couple of years at this point. And okay. I've had a lot of people <laughs> on who have done hard things. And I have psychologists and psychiatrists and mindset experts and everybody kind of comes to the table and they're like, this is how you do it. And it's like, step one, two, three. And like, when your mind does this and you're just like, well, I just, you know, like you just <laughs> like, it's very um, refreshing because what it does is it dispels this myth that it has to be complicated or that there is a right or a wrong way. Like you're just embracing life in all its colors and have figured <laughs> out this thing that works for you, but it's welcoming to people because, because you're saying like, look, you know, I'm doing this, you can do this too. Like you're creating space for other people to see greater possibility in themselves because of that relatability. Well, thank you. Yeah. That's very kind. Yeah, no, I think it's powerful. It's really powerful. In the equation of mind versus body, like how do you think about that? Like how much of it is physical prowess versus mental grit? It's both for sure. And I think in an ultra, it trades back and forth between the two. So like maybe for a while, your physical has to pull more of the weight um, because it can. And then if that's giving out, maybe the mental takes over for a while. So I think they, they tag each other out back and forth where you need them for sure. Like physically, mm -hmm. it's hard to run this far, but mentally um, you can like move your feet much farther than you think. Right, yeah. Ultimately, I think the differentiator is in the mental game because everybody, especially at the elite level is training really hard. And there's only so much training that you can do before you get injured or you overtrain, yeah. right? So when you tow the line at the starting line, you can be assured that everybody who's a threat to your you know, dominance has put in the work that you've put in, right? So the person who's gonna win, it's gonna come down to who's gonna, who's gonna crack mentally when the tough gets going. Yeah, and like uh, who can you know, problem solve efficiently or uh, not let problems that come up ruffle their feathers too much. Mm -hmm. I think that's huge in ultras. Yeah, just being able to maintain that positive disposition Yeah. rather than, oh no, this is terrible. Thinking, right. Awesome, this is what it's about, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> How do you keep a smile on your face and tell jokes and do all that stuff when you're so freaking exhausted? <laughs> Jokes help everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's part of the strategy. Sneaky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm actually really bad at telling jokes. So it's like a mental game for myself to try and tell a joke with the correct punchline. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's like a- how, Making sure like that you're still a lucid. A sanity check, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it is so interesting that equation between mental and physical, like we were chatting before the podcast, I was in Utah uh, the, the last couple of days. I joined the Iron Cowboy for day 91 on his Conquer 100 insanity quest. So cool. Um, and that guy is a master of, of the mental game. And he's somebody who's so physically strong, but also somebody whose mental game so far exceeds his physical capabilities that this guy's willing to just completely break his body. Like he will not crack. There's no way he's gonna give up for a physical reason. His mental game is so strong that he will literally run his body into the ground and do irreparable damage before yeah. he pulls out of this thing, which is worrisome, I think, <laughs> but also impressive. Uh, and one of the things I noticed, I, I walked a marathon with him the other day 
is just his ability to remain positive under all circumstances. And there's so many people that are congregated around him and they all want a piece of him. And he makes time for every single one of those people and then finishes the day and always like spontaneously delivers some impassioned inspirational speech you wow. know, for everybody to take home with them. Yeah. And, the, and the kind of presence of mind that you have to have to do that, I think is really the differentiator. And the way that you carry yourself as similar, like what you do is the way you do it is different, but the, in the Venn diagram, like it's that positivity piece, I think that is really powerful. Yeah, well, thank you. So what's his mood like as he's walking? Well, you don't know what's going on internally because he refuses to say anything negative. Okay. So no matter what's happening, he's like, it's awesome. This is great. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's just like, we're, you know, we're just, we're just doing it, man. You yeah. know, like, and it, you know, like, I'm like, are you okay? <laughs> That's cool. I think he is like, he, he seems genuinely in a good place right now. And he's had his ups and downs, of course, over the last 93 days or whatever it is. Yeah. And he will have completed it. Um, hopefully by the time this goes up, but it's, you know, there's, there's so much to learn by just observing somebody like that. Yeah, for sure. I'm, what you project out, I mean, hearing it, like you're hearing it in your head, but when you say it out loud, it can make a huge difference. Right, right. it makes it real yeah. or more real at least. I've told, so my husband is um, often the crew at my races and beforehand we're always like, I don't know, I tell him, just don't ask me how it's going during, because if it's going bad, I don't need to tell you that, like, mm-hmm. you know, and if it's going good, we don't need to say that either. Let's just like carry forward. Right, 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 right. Cause it does nothing to tell you how bad my legs hurt right now. Is that outlook something you've always had or something that you've developed or, or learned? To n- not like, wanna this, share how it's going. No, 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 <laughs> just, just being po- like understanding the power of positivity and, you know, and, and having that kind of fortitude around protecting, you know, um, your state of mind. Like, is that a Minnesota thing? Is that, a, is that the way your parents raised you? Is that something you learned as an athlete in high school? Or is that just Courtney? Yeah, I, I feel like ultra running has taught a lot of it to me. Um, when you're in those 100 or 200 mile races, you can learn a lot about what your brain can do and what's helpful from your brain, Mm -hmm. but for sure, it's gotta come a little bit from my upbringing, from my parents, my coaches, my friends, and just examples. Mm. What do you think about, I mean, your your accomplishments put you in the bullseye of this ongoing, I don't wanna call it a debate, a conversation around the role of male versus female in terms of prowess in the ultra world, right? Mm -hmm. the longer the science basically proves that the longer the distance is, the less of a difference sex makes, right? So these two forties, like these super long races, like whether you're male, male or female, seems to not make very much of a difference. <laughs> and it's one of the few sports in which the women can like crush the dudes. <laughs> I think it, as the distance increases, it becomes a little more equal. Mm-hmm for sure, because um, then it is a lot in your head and it's about you know right. persistence and problem solving and um, some stubbornness, you know, all of those factor in quite a bit as you're out there for over 24 hours. Right. I think like Big's Backyard is a great example 
of a format that I think is pretty equal in what's possible and who might win it every mm-hmm. single year, where it's that four mile loop every single hour, line up on the hour every hour and do it again yeah. until no one will anymore. Right. It becomes a it becomes a, a, a battle of, of will as yeah. much as anything else, right? And I wanna talk about that in a minute because I think that's fascinating. But being a science teacher, former <laughs> science teacher, <laughs> right? It makes me think perhaps there is some evolutionary advantage that females developed as the child rearers that they are, they have, they carry with them like a, a deeper, reservoir of psychological endurance and capacity versus men, right? It seems to like it would make sense. I don't know if anybody studied this. Yeah, I have no idea. I think it would be a cool thing for someone to focus their studies on if they aren't already. Yeah, yeah, it's wild, it's wild. I remember um, like before you were born when I was, after I, I was, I grew up as a swimmer um, and after college, I moved to New York City and my roommate, this guy, Matt Nance was a teammate of mine, very good swimmer, much better than me. And he decided to do the race around Manhattan, which is a 28 mile swim around the island of Manhattan. Jeez. And at this time I had no interest in any, I was like, go go for it. Like I, I'm not interested. Um, and he ended up getting second place. And I think he, I can't remember, this was like 1990, I think he broke the, course record, but he got beat by a 15 year old girl from Australia. Wow. This girl, Susie Maroney, who, who ended up winning that race a bunch of times, maybe three times or something like that. You know, so at a 28 mile swim, like she just, she just crushed him. And she beat him by like five minutes or something like that. Really? Yeah. A sprint finish? Uh, no, I think she had a good lead on him. Okay. Yeah, at that point. <laughs> but you know, it goes to that point of when you reach a certain distance, um, I don't want to say gender because it's not gender; it's sexual. It's what, what do you call it? Sexual genetics. Um, really, don't play the factor that they do in other sport pursuits. Yeah, I mean, I think it gets closer for sure. I would love to just. I mean, two hundreds are kind of new, so I would love to you know see how over yeah. the years with if there's more men, more women competing, like just get more people out there um, and see what happens. Because I think, I mean, those 200s are fun because there's like not a ton of information about how they're done or, you know, Mm -hmm. what's the formula to do this as fast as possible. Whereas like there's tons of hundred mile races that, I mean, you can look at people's splits, you could, you know, read about their very specific training. Like there's all sorts of information about Mm -hmm. that. And the 200s, I think, it's just a little less known. Um, and there's a few more variables that make it hard to. Right. Yeah, it's, the, it's at the cutting edge of where this sport is going. I mean, it's crazy how much the sport has blown up. And the fact that so many people sign up for hundred mile races now yeah. is like wild. Yeah, they all sell out. I know, <laughs> yeah. And it's weird how the mind goes, well, okay, 200, like as if it's somewhat the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Like it's only double like the longest thing you can ever imagine, yeah. right? And how many people are actually signing up for 200 miles? I mean, in a maybe lot. in five or 10 years, it will be like the hundreds are right now, right? I think so. But 
there's so little, it's so new, mm. right? That you're one of the pioneers here trying to figure out how to optimize performance at that distance. It's a, a fun one to play with. Do you wish that the races were like 300 miles? Absolutely. 400 miles, yes. like the longer the better, right? <laughs> yeah, like, keep going. <laughs> I know when you were on Rogan, there was some discussion about a 500 mile race. Yeah, that hasn't happened yet. Um, but like the Colorado trail that I tried is about mm-hmm. 500 miles. And so I was kind of looking for starting to figure out that distance with that. Right, so that was your first FTK attempt that was sort of a COVID inspired pursuit, right? Like all the races were canceled. So you were gonna tackle this trail, which takes you from Durango to Denver? Correct. 500 miles? Yeah. You had a little hiccup though. Yeah. What happened? (laughs) Well, oh man, it's a beautiful trail. I mean, it's this beautiful single track that goes over tons of mountain ranges through the state of Colorado. Um, And I had been eyeing it for a few years, but the pandemic and all the races being canceled for sure suddenly made it like, I mean, we had a wide open summer to Mm -hmm. just go for it. Um, So I ended up making it about 300 and I don't know, five miles um, and then was put in the ER because my lungs just weren't working like they were supposed to. Yeah, you had to be put on like oxygen, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was weird because it started early on, like right when I started the trail, I remember commenting to my crew at one of the stops like, everything feels amazing, but my lungs just are being lazy right now. I Mm -hmm. thought they just weren't turning on like the rest of it, but I figured they just needed some more hours, you know, and then they would be, they would realize what we were doing and they would come with. Right, it comes around. Like that's that thing in ultras where you can't really make a, informed decision about what's going on or how you feel based on the moment because yeah, it changes. Exactly. Um, but it just kept getting worse. So I was like wheezing and uh, coughing up a lot of things and um, it was preventing like any good forward motion, but also like sleep wasn't possible anymore because every time I laid down, I was just like wheezing, like I was breathing through a tiny straw. Right. And you had crew with you the whole way? I did, yeah, yeah. So I had a fantastic you were never, group. You couldn't have been in like, you know, a situation where you were out of cell range or anything like that and in real jeopardy. Yeah, I always had a crew. Um, I always had someone running with me who had like a satellite thing that they could communicate. So um, we could have figured it out if anything had really right. gone uh, to the garbage, but my crew just like made the call at uh, 305 where we had stopped for a rest stop. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had been you know, watching this get progressively worse over the course of these days. And then finally they were like, we gotta just go to this hospital nearby and get you checked out. And beforehand I had told them like, you know what we're trying to do. So if you decide something about like I, how much I should rest or not rest or eat or not eat, like I trust you a hundred percent because I know my brain is gonna turn to mush. And so when they said that, I, I mean, for sure I needed a little explanation of like, 
you know, I've been wheezing for hundreds of miles at this point. Like I thought we were just gonna take that wheeze to Denver. Uh-huh. Like it was yeah. coming all the you, way. That's where like, maybe you don't have a coach, but you need some third party, yeah. you know, intervention here yeah. because your mental toughness will forbid you from stopping. Yeah, I mean, even coming into that <laughs> yeah. spot, I had told them like, I just wanna grab a slice of pizza and then let's keep going, mm-hmm. you know? And they were like, no, please stop and rest. So I stopped to rest and they were like, hey, we're gonna take you to the hospital. Um, And even on the drive to the hospital in my head, I was like, I'm just gonna tell this doctor what I'm doing. And he's gonna say, that's fine, go back out there. (laughs) As he's putting oxygen on your face and saying, you're not going anywhere, right? I'm sure they were really worried. I mean, there was a sense that, you know, that something could be really wrong. Yeah, and I mean, Hindsight, like I'm so thankful that the crew made that tough call because they were as invested in it as I was. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't want to pull the plug. And uh, that then the doctor, you know, kind of painted the picture of this could have gone really far south if they hadn't brought you in. Right. Do you think it's that thing where you probably had some really low grade infection, but you're out there crushing it and it just, um, depresses your immune response, right? So it allows that infection to take root in a way that if you were just sitting at home on the couch, you would have been fine. Yeah, I think it had to have uh, been something like that because of how it felt at the beginning where I you know, wanted my lungs to wake up and they weren't. Mm. It feels like something was brewing in there, yeah. but with acute bronchitis, they don't have like a, they can't pinpoint the sure, cause. Sure, yeah, and in these, super long races, it's those tiny little things that can end up burying you, right? Yeah, yeah, which is why it's so cool. I mean, the longer the race gets or the longer the you know challenge you're taking on gets, the more puzzle pieces there are that get involved. Mm-hmm. And I think just playing around with those every time, it makes you better at doing the puzzles, but also like, um, it's just a fun game to me. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. So there's events like that, this self-styled, like I'm gonna tackle this trail and do it faster than anybody. There's the structured races like the Moab 240 or UTMB, which is kind of like the Super Bowl of trail races. Um, and then there are these last man standing races, right? The, the backyard ultra that you referenced earlier, um, which I think is such a cool format. Yes. Um, do you, is there one of those formats that you enjoy best? Like, I feel like the, 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 the backyard ultra format, the last man standing kind of thing is perfectly suited for you. Yeah, I love those. I love all the events though. Um, they just change in what I love about them. Like a 240 or a hundred mile race I love because it's usually a really cool 
course, you know, you're getting to explore with your feet. And then ones like these loop courses, it's more like exploring in your brain of Mm -hmm. how to go a little bit deeper. So for, just so you know, like there's a percentage of the audience that is probably a super fan of yours and knows everything that you've done, (laughs) but there's also a large percentage of them for whom perhaps this is their first introduction to you. So let's talk about what this backyard ultra situation is. You do this four mile loop, right? And basically you, and they're on the hour essentially. Yep. They're on the hour. So you run four miles and however long it takes. And then you just have to start the next loop at the top of the hour. And yeah. then you just keep going until no one's left. So the ra- you don't know how long the race is gonna be. Exactly. <laughs> right? And so you just did this, uh, this, this past year and ended up running 283 miles. That's correct. It's like 67 loops, is that right? Uh, yeah, 67. You're the, you're, the, you're the science person. Right. <laughs> A lot of loops. 67 um, or 68. Until it was just you and Harvey Lewis. Yeah. Right? Yeah, who's an amazing human. Um, and it was just the two of us from um, 200 miles on. Mm. So, the way the race works is everyone starts all at once and then every loop you're starting again all together. So you're never, you can't like get ahead by a certain amount of time or right. bank time anywhere. It's one hour and clock, that's it. every lap. Yeah. Um, and you can either quit and refuse to start another lap or you can miss the hour cutoff. And that's how the field just starts get getting eliminated. smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it ended up with Harvey and I at about 204 miles or so. Um, and we're, I mean, the cool part about this format is you need each other right. because once it's, once you're the last person standing, the race is over. You, you can't don't, keep going. Yeah, you don't get to keep doing those four mile laps, even if you feel fine. So Harvey and I were like full on, Let's work as a team. We want to get, you know, over 300 miles. How can we help each other? Mm-hmm. And we talk on the loops like, what do you need? What do I need? How do we keep this train rolling? Um, but then part of it is also you've gone so far that you need to like really just focus on like not imploding yourself. Right. And so there were quite a few laps where we were both just like totally focused inward on and keeping it moving. Yeah, but that is beautiful and very unique in that your your main competitor must become your ally if you really wanna push the envelope and yeah. see what's possible for each of you. I think it's so cool. And that to be going that far, you both need so many things to have gone right for you. Like that's a far ways to run with your feet. So mm-hmm. there's all these like hurdles along the way that you have to navigate and um, to have two people have days like that is is really special. Right. But I think, I mean, the whole field is like a team. Everyone wants everyone to keep going. The more numbers you have getting into those higher distances, the more likely everyone is to keep going farther. Yeah. Because if you're surrounded by 10 people, it feels less crazy than if you're surrounded by right. one person. Right, right, right. Yeah, it goes back to that mental game. It's the same notion that when, you know, prior to Bannister breaking the four minute mile mark, people thought it was impossible. He breaks it, then suddenly, you know, all kinds of people are breaking it. Like, it's so strange that that's the way the human mind operates. Yeah. 
but it is true. It's very true. Yeah. But did you feel like you like you could have kept going if if there was somebody like Harvey taps out? Yeah. I I mean, yes, I was set on continuing on and in the moment I felt like I could do more, but you never know. Mm-hmm. Like the race is as crazy as it is because one bad hour can take you out. Right. And then suddenly you're or done. One bad footstep yeah. where you roll your ankle or something like that happens. Yeah. So yeah, I was when he dropped, I had gotten into this really good zone. I was like kind of robotic through the loop and I knew my spots where I ran and I knew my spots where I walked and it was like, just put it on autopilot. And uh-huh. um, yeah, I was kind of having fun, like being a robot. <laughs> and where does your mind go? Like what's happening? Are you daydreaming? Are you focused on what you're doing? Are you listening to music, an audiobook? Like what? what is that? About. So when he stopped, it was in the night and um, in the night sections, we switched to a road out and back and there's music allowed in the night. So I think I was uh, blasting some music and then I was, I think I was just like really embracing the robot mentality of like, don't think about anything, just do mm-hmm. and like stay right where your feet are. Mm. Because that one, any ultra really, but that format in particular, if you project too far ahead, like how much farther are we gonna be going? Are you kidding? We have to run until sunrise right. or like, or you start thinking about how the other person is looking and like, they'll never quit, you know? Yeah. Um, then it can get into your head and spiral pretty quickly. Yeah, none of that's helpful. No. <laughs> you just have to be <laughs> no. where your feet are, right? Yeah. But that's a discipline. Yeah, it's hard. Um, but I'll even like talk outside, uh, I'll talk out loud to myself, like, no, stay right here. Uh-huh. If I start thinking ahead too far. Yeah, what else do you tell yourself? <laughs> well, mostly it's like, stay here and then this is fine. Uh-huh. And I'll just say that over this and over. This is fine, this is fine. This is fine. We're good. No matter what. <laughs> uh-huh. And when you come in at the conclusion of a, a, of a loop, Obviously you're eating, you're trying to rest. Like what does that routine look like? And what is the sleep piece? Yeah, <laughs> I think this is the one where, I, I mean, just doing the race format, you learn so much from it and seeing, you know, what's helpful or what does five minutes feel like? What does eight minutes feel like? Of like sleep. Learning all of that mm-hmm. or just time. Like, I mean, we rarely look and see what five minutes feels like when we're just like in normal life. Mm-hmm. But when you're in this format, five minutes is really important and you need to use it fully. Right. With, like everything should have a purpose. And so I think I was averaging daytime loops at like maybe 48 minutes mm-hmm. or 50 minutes and then nighttime loops because it's that road out and back, it's a little easier. And so I was probably coming in at more like 45. Um, so you're getting anywhere between 10 and 15 minutes. Yeah. At night I was, uh, we had a really good routine of just, I would come in the little tent. I had a cot set up and I would shovel some bites of food and then I would lay down and I'd have like 10 minutes until the two minute whistle blew. Mm-hmm. And then I would get up, maybe drink some things and then get back out there. And even if I wasn't falling asleep, I would just lay there pretending like I was sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, 
just convincing myself that that pays off also. <laughs> Were you able to fall asleep though? A, a bunch of times? Yeah. yeah so there's sure. the famous story of in the Moab 240, you, you, you got one minute of sleep for the whole thing, but you felt like you slept for hours or yeah. something. Right? Fully recharged <laughs> after one was minute. Was it really one minute? It was. It was, that's yeah. so crazy. So crazy. I thought my pacer had tricked me. I thought he let me sleep for 45 minutes there. Uh-huh. But it was 60 seconds. You were mad at him. Yeah. <laughs> Why'd you let me oversleep? Yeah. Now you're getting, you could get like 10 minutes of sleep. Yeah. I've never been able to replicate that one minute nap though. Like I did another 200 mile race, uh, the Tahoe 200 and I was trying, I was hoping mm, for that magic. Yeah, you're like, I, got, I know how to do this yeah. now. I totally thought I'd figured out the sleep thing and then I couldn't, couldn't get it, it to work again. Mm. So, I mean, that keeps me coming back to these as well as like, you think you learn something, you think you have a, a puzzle piece figured out and then you gotta throw right. it back in and start again. Do you think that that the sleep deprivation part of the whole thing is something that some people are better at than others, or do you think it's just hard for everyone? Like, I feel like maybe you're you're well suited to manage that maybe better than other people. Like, is that part of something you would consider to be an advantage? Maybe I'm not sure though. I think yeah, you don't think about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's my answer for right. everything. Yeah. Well, listen, it's working for you. Don't think about it. We did it. We figured it out. Well, there's nothing you could do about it. Either you're good at it or you're not, right? Yeah, but I've so I'm still learning, and I'm like. I love that I can use myself as this guinea pig and just test things and see. Right. Um, and like Johan Steen is another runner who has done backyard races amongst many other things. And watching him the first year at the uh, backyard race that I went to, he would s- come through a loop, sit down and immediately be sleeping every single lap that year. Uh-huh. And so he's like nailed it. And I would like to figure it out so I could nail it like right. that. So as a tinkerer or somebody who is experimenting, but is also self-coach, like what is something that you've learned over maybe even the last two or two and a half years that you're doing now that you weren't doing in 2018 or 2019? Like where are the kind of evolutionary arcs in, in your training or your kind of strategy with these races? That's tricky. I think getting on trails more and mm-hmm. yeah, playing on mountains more. Has more play, changed. more play. Yeah. Um, and then I think just learning from all the problems that come up, like you do these long races, inevitably there's problems that come up and then you've experienced those problems. So then you have this filing cabinet in your brain where you can say like, here's all the things that I know of already that can go wrong. Mm -hmm. And that can help you better prepare for the next one where maybe those things happen again, but also maybe something brand new. But also having, having, collecting all those experiences, you know, when things get tough, like I've been here before and this is what I did or I got through it. So I know I can get through it again. Yeah, for sure. I'll think that if I'm, you know, like puking in the bushes, I can open up a whole folder in this filing cabinet of times I've been throwing up during a race, uh-huh. you know, and like then the options that I have of what worked before or what I at least tried before. Right. 
I feel like you need to get into a lab and <laughs> have some tests run. You know, like like they've done tests on Killian. They know he has a crazy, you know, threshold. Um, Alex Honnold has, has had his brain you yeah. know, analyzed, and they realize he his brain is a little bit different when it comes to his fear response. Like I feel like we need to get Dr. Andrew Huberman, my uh, neuroscience buddy to test your head and see what's going on. <laughs> or do, like, do you, like, have you had all those markers uh, evaluated? So you no. know where you are? You no. haven't even done that, no. right? Like, I feel like, let's get you in the lab. What let's if figure they, out what's going on. What if they only find air? But that would be instructive <laughs> too, right? Now we know, you know? Like, yeah. like either you, you have some, you know, genetic disposition that, that differentiates you. And even if you don't, that's super interesting also, you know, because then it does, t- then it does, I think in my mind that tells me, oh, this person has developed, um, you know, a, a mental toughness that you can't calibrate with any scientific rigor, you know, that, and that's interesting to explore in and of itself. Yeah, I would be curious what they would be like testing for or looking for. Well, they could test your like. I mean, you 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 you're not wearing a watch right how now, but I'm sure you have crazy. like. A, you, yeah, I know, right? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe some scientist knows how to do that. It's not crazy, but you know, they could test your aerobic threshold and your and your resting heart rate and your heart rate variability and like all of that kind of stuff that you ignore. Yeah, you wear a watch though when you're running, don't you? I do. do you wear a heart rate monitor. Nope, no. um, I just have the one that's built into the watch, but I don't really use heart rate. Mm-hmm. Just go. Is that surprising? Joy. No, it's not surprising <laughs> at all. Like I've, I kind of, I kind of love it. You know, it's I think great. I have a good gauge of effort. I'm sure you know. Yeah, it's like you're so you're so connected to yourself that you you don't need that because you already know intuitively where you're at, right? And that comes with experience. You've been doing this for a long time. Pretty long. Yeah, I mean, when did you you start running cross country in junior high, high school? Yeah, cross country um, starting in middle school and then cross country skiing mm-hmm. through high school. Yeah, and you were a state champion in cross country skiing. <laughs> yeah, weren't you? Yeah. Why are you like laughing? <laughs> <laughs> Why is that so funny? It's not. I'm just awkward. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're not awkward. Relax. We're just having fun here. It's all good. It's all good. Um, it seems like your parents are really supportive and cool. Yeah, they're the best. They're amazing. I was watching the, the the video that Solomon made around the Western states with your parents there. They were so cute. Yeah, being interviewed. They were they were so fired up to get to see this race where it's like kind of there's so many crowds and so much excitement around it. So mm-hmm. I was really lucky they could come out for it. Ever since I started doing these ultras, they've been full on supportive. And like the first hundred mile race that I ended up finishing. So my second one I had signed up for, it was just my dad and brother and uh, Kevin as my crew. None of us knew what we were doing. And mm-hmm. we're like, you know, up in the woods of Minnesota at the Superior 100, like figuring out what these aid stations are and what the trail looks like. and how to even like go about getting to a finish line. Right. Yeah, I think there's this misconception that you like won your first race and it's just been podiums ever since, (laughs) but you started in what, like 2012 running ultras 
And it was a couple years of you growing and learning before you hit your stride and started winning. For sure, yeah. It took a lot of races to start to put the pieces together. Uh huh. Did you know with that first one then though, that like, oh, this is gonna be my thing? No, I think, um, so I just stumbled upon the ultra running world. I had no idea they existed. And uh, there was a 50K at a local park. So I signed up for that and was intrigued by it, but I wasn't like hooked on the sport right away. And then I did a 50 mile race a little bit later that year. And that got me hooked uh-huh. all the way. And then I just wanted to know what mm. else was out there and what could I try? What was the decision to sign up for the first race though? Why were you interested to begin with? Um, so I did a road marathon and surprised myself by finishing it. Like I didn't think I'd actually get to the finish line of 26.2 miles. I thought my legs would shatter. I thought I would die on the side of this road. Um, and when I finished it, it kind of like flipped a switch for me of just wondering if that sounded too hard, but I did it, what else is there that sounds too hard that I could try? Uh-huh. So I tried like a tough mutter then, and then uh, stumbled upon like these races that were just a smidge longer than a road marathon, a 50K, what, five miles more. I was like, I gotta try and see if the f- extra five miles kills me. And then, and then and it, was, didn't. it didn't. <laughs> well, if that didn't kill me. Exactly, yeah. So then it was a real quick progression. I did the 50 mile race, got hooked and didn't die. And then uh, instantly I wanted to try a hundred miles. Uh-huh. It really fits your, your disposition though, because as somebody who is all about intuitive feel, to be a marathon runner is really kind of a data driven thing. Like, oh, here are the workouts you need to do. And here's how you hit, have to hit your splits. But trail running is all about the terrain dictating everything. So all of that goes out the window. And yeah. it's just about like being present in the experience and tackling things as, as they're thrown at you. Yeah, for And it's sure. not about anyone else other than you and you. Yeah. I think in that 50K, I was so surprised that everyone was chatting out on this trail, you know, winding through the woods, no one's watches were beeping splits. And then at aid stations, we got to just fill our pockets with jelly beans. I was like, I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) We're gonna talk about your garbage patch kids diet. (laughs) I feel like we have a lot in common there. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oh my goodness. You're young. There's more to learn. It is interesting as somebody who's trying to to achieve peak performance in all these areas that that your approach is to not focus on all these things where people are trying to get that incremental advantage, whether it's through some scientific approach to training or or a dietary approach, like you're just like, no, not doing that. I eat whatever, nachos, cheeseburgers, French fries. So good. Candy, <laughs> right? Has that evolved at all? No. No. No, and I realize like that is definitely an area where maybe if I did something differently, um, maybe it would help, but then like weighing that against how much joy I get out of just living life sure. like this. Yeah, I, I just, I love nachos yeah. too much. I don't blame you. I'm not, I, I'm like, I got nothing but love okay. for that. You know, um, I think the enjoyment piece is really important because 
if you're not enjoying yourself, then you're putting a shelf life on your career. And if it becomes too rigorous or restricted, whether it's through training or diet or any other, you know, like sleeping in an altitude tent, like all these, you know, like you don't even use Normatec boots, right? No Normatec. No. <laughs> yeah, you're talking about Rogan. He couldn't remember what they were called, but like that's something that is like de rigueur with endurance athletes. And you were like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> like that's nuts. But the good thing is, if you ever get interested in those things, then there's a whole world of opportunity and possibility ahead of you. Yeah. To explore all that stuff. I'll just keep them in my back pocket. Right. <laughs> yeah. Pull it out when you need it. But so far, so good, right? Um, Let's talk about the Barkley marathons. Yeah, let's. I'm fascinated by this race and the people involved and what this is all about. So explain what it is for people who've never heard of it. So it's a race in the mountains of Tennessee um, outside of a prison. And I believe the history came about because a prisoner escaped this prison. And uh, when he was found, 60 hours later, he had only made it like five miles or something from the prison. And so Laz, uh, Lazarus Lake is the race director. And I guess him and his buddies were just jawboning about how they would make it farther and they should then make this race out there. Um, so it's, it's not marked like a normal ultra marathon is and it's not on actual trails. It's just bushwhacking through these mountains. And uh, you have to complete five 20-ish mile loops in order to be a mm-hmm. finisher of the Barkley Marathons. You say 20-ish because they say it's 20, but it's not 20. It's not right? 20, but maybe 25 or 26 mile loops, not positive. Uh, and the way you prove that you made it around the loop correctly is he's hidden books out in the woods and you have to get to the book and then you rip out your bib number to prove you were at that book uh-huh. and then turn them in when you finish your loop. Right. And it's uncrewed, there's no aid stations. Uh, the only time you can get more things is when you're back at the camp between loops. And then there's a few stops uh, out on the course where he's put some jugs of water. Uh huh. And over, is it five loops total? Five loops to complete total. It? And there's something like 60,000 feet of elevation gain, right? Yeah. Easily, I bet. Uh-huh. I don't know, it's a so lot. So you're out there, <laughs> it's not marked. You don't really know where you're going. I mean, people are getting lost all the time, right? Yeah, yeah, you're-, you're uh, The weather's terrible. The weather is horrendous. Um, and you're navigating just with a compass. And the day before the race, he puts out his map that you copy onto your own map uh-huh. of like the line you're supposed to take. It's not a orienteering race. It's not like- you can just go any direction through these woods to get to the books. You're supposed to follow his line. Mm. And isn't it a thing where he doesn't tell you when it's gonna start? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he gives you a one hour warning. So uh-huh. it can be anywhere in this like, I don't know, 12 hour window of time or something, 20 hour window of time. And he'll give you the one hour warning. Uh-huh. And this year um, I was lucky enough to get to try the race and he, uh, gave that warning at like 2 a.m. or something. Right, 3 a.m. start. Yeah. He lights the cigarette, which yeah. is the thing he does. I mean, he's a character, this guy. <laughs> he's a character. What is the story with this dude? <laughs> Controversial too. Yeah. <laughs> 
he's a character, but he's created all these events where like he just wants to help people see what's possible for them. Mm -hmm. So like Barkley is that, you know, people sign up for it knowing they're not gonna finish probably. I think in total, there's been 15 finishers ever of the Barkley. Mm -hmm. And then he's created Big's Backyard where it's like, you know, run till you can't basically, so. 15 people total finish. I thought it was a a few more than that. I don't know, but no woman has has done the whole, has completed the whole thing. Is that correct? Right. And when you did it, you did, you completed the first loop within the time limit. And then on the second loop uh, came in like, like 12 minutes Yeah. too late. Yep, we were 12 minutes over the cutoff. So we weren't allowed to then leave on our third loop. Uh huh. So there's- Did anybody finish? No, uh, two people made it the fun run, which is three loops. So they, uh, I think it's like 40 hours you have to get three loops done in, in order to count for a fun run. Right, but it doesn't actually count as- Right, <laughs> yeah. So this is like the only race where almost, where basically nobody finishes like every single year. Yeah. How long has it been going on? Uh, a long time. Yeah. I'm not sure. We can look that up. I know. <laughs> Are you gonna go back to that? You gotta I, crack that. I'm really intrigued by it. Like just getting my feet wet and getting to actually see what it's all about was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's just as hard as as everyone says, like it's just straight up and down these mountainsides. Um, and then finding the books is like this silly game where they're like hidden in the most obscure places. Like, it's like in a hole under a rock on this log, you know, like it's hard to find them. <laughs> I can't imagine like being that tired and it's like dark out too, right? Yeah. So you have this map and you're like, the book's supposed to be here and you can't find it. Yeah. Luckily I was with veterans. And so they had a better gauge on like the lay of the land and, um, just having been there before, like there's some spots that he repeats the book being hidden there. So mm-hmm. they knew like, oh, we lift up this one rock and you know, then it's wherever. Um, but like the whole first half of the first loop this year was in the dark and then it was in the fog. And so everyone going to the race had told me, pay attention on that first loop, you know, figure out your landmarks so that when you do it again on the second loop, you start to piece it together and you can like see the land in your head and you know where you're going kind of. And that whole first half of the first loop, I'm like, I couldn't see like 10 feet out. Right, I'm like, right. guys, I'm really trying to see the landmarks. Oh my God. <laughs> so, all right, a couple of questions. First of all, the map that you have, is that on a like a, an iPhone with a GPS or is that a piece of paper? No technology, so. Right, so you no, can't see the, your dot on no. the thing and to make sure that you're on course. Yeah, no phones, no GPS watches. He issues you. It is an orienteering race then. You said it's not, but it kind of is. Kind of, except in orienteering, can't they go however to get to the point? Oh, I don't know. Cause this is like a very specific path to get mm. to the book that you're mm-hmm. supposed to follow. Mm. So maybe it's a little bit orienteering, but um, not like a free for all. Like, Does he change it up? Like, could you go at other parts of the year and train on the course? So you get familiar with all the rock formations and everything? You can't train off trail in the park. Mm. And so like the park makes a special exception for this race every year to happen off trail. But otherwise during the year, you have to stay on just their normal park trails. Right, right. But this year the watch he gave us was a 
a pocket watch, like clicks open with the <laughs> lid, you know? And <laughs> I mean, it was so useless. Right, and isn't it like, <laughs> that, um, like the entry fee is like a dollar sixty or yeah. something, and then there's always some random thing also, like yeah. a license plate. Yep, license what is that plate. All about? Uh, if you're new to the race, you have to bring a license plate that year, and then if you've done the race before, there's like a different thing you bring him. I uh-huh. think he's done like socks and cigarettes and whatever else. Right. Oh my God. Yeah, it's pretty cool though. I mean, it was just like, it was silly. The weather was so bad that a few times I was with this small group, we were just going up and down these hillsides and everyone's just slipping everywhere. There's mud down the whole hillside. And so like zooming out and watching Mm -hmm. it, I'm like, this is like a comedy movie. Like people are just slipping and falling and like tumbling and then back on their feet and running. Like it was the most normal thing to be doing. Right, right, right. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I'm I'm wondering whether there's something so beautiful and pure about that, but also balancing that against, you know, risk and liability as this sport is continuing to grow. Like it's very much in its, you know, juvenile years in terms of, you know, what we're what we're learning about what's physically and mentally possible, but also in terms of onboarding all of these enthusiastic runners who are looking to push their limits. And we just saw what happened in China recently where 21 people died. And when, you know, it's fun to talk, oh, we're sliding around in mud, but like there's real life, you know, ramifications to this where people can get seriously hurt. We saw that. And it's gonna be interesting to see how that impacts race directors and races going forward in the United States. Like it's a cautionary tale, like this is very real. And yeah. people are pushing themselves to places that not everybody's ready to go, yeah. you know? And they can be inspired by you, but if they're not somebody who's been doing this for a long time, um, people can get into re- very real trouble pretty quickly. For sure, yeah. And like, just because it's this marked course doesn't give you this bubble of safety mm-hmm. around it. Like it's still mountains and there's still- Yeah, and you're in these remote places. Mm-hmm. There's no hospitals nearby. And most of these races remain very grassroots. You know, there's just a couple people there. There's not a lot of infrastructure. Yeah. And that's what makes it great and cool and fun and, and cultivates this amazing community and rapport that you have with everybody. But on some on some level there is a there is a you know sort of this is that that event you know makes me think like well maybe it's time to mature a little bit yeah or yeah i don't know if like the application process needs more you know mm. information from each runner to stronger, see stronger stronger waivers can it's you, your fault <laughs> yeah like oh. but also like can you make smart choices out yeah. there like what's your wilderness wilderness training or mm. um experience in that kind of thing. I don't know. I don't know what the solution yeah. is, but it's it's scary how real it became when I something know. like that race I happens. Know. And at the same time, there's money coming into the sport. We just saw Ironman partnering with UTMB, which is another controversial thing. Like, how do you feel about that? I am not sure. I don't know. I've, I guess we don't know yet, right? Yeah. You'll probably learn more when you go to the race this year, yeah, will it, will have... it impa- what, what aspects of the race are gonna be impacted by it yeah. positively or negatively? Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, you're gonna be very politic here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's hard, to, it's hard to know right now. I think that the fear is that it will corrupt the integrity of it. 
Um, on the positive side, there's an infusion of money that could make the sport better and you know, create opportunities for, for more runners and yeah. the like. Um, but I think protecting you know, the integrity and the legacy and what makes ultra running and that community special is important. And so I think people are afraid that that partnership could threaten that. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not even trying to stay neutral. I feel like I've just read a lot of things where it's like guessing what might happen. Right, all these hot takes, but yeah. we don't know yet. Yeah. We don't know, we'll see soon enough, right? Yeah. <laughs> Of the two races that you're preparing for right now, uh, let's talk about the differences between something like Hard Rock and UTMB because they're they're very different. Yeah, the courses will be uh, kind of similar. I mean, they're both mountain terrain, lots of climbing, um, but just the races in general are all the way different. Mm -hmm. Hard Rock has like 150 people in the race, UTMB has thousands and thousands. Um, it's crazy the crowds yeah. that show up for that. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've only been over there once, but it was insane. I've never experienced anything like that, mm -hmm. but I'm excited to have both of them. Um, I think it's so cool when you roll into an aid station that's you know just a folding table out in the middle of nowhere Yeah, with some volunteers that camped there the night before to get there. I think that's just as special as like rolling through a, you know, hyped up town with, you know, crazy tents and NASCAR mm -hmm. style crewing. So it'll be fun to have these races that are both, you know, beautiful mountain hundred mile races, but then different in so many other ways. And what does the training look like in between the two? Are you just trying to like recover as much as possible so you can be fresh? Yeah, I think that'll be really play it by ear and see, um, what my body needs and how my brain is feeling. Maybe some weeks of training squeezed in there, but maybe it'll just be like recovering and then trying to show up as fresh as possible yeah. at UTMB. I'm well, not I guess sure. you'll just wake up in the morning and figure it out, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> after coffee. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's cool. I can't wait to see what you're what you're gonna do. Do you do you feel um, like you shoulder a little bit more? pressure and a sense of expectations now because of your accomplishments? Does it change how you approach these races? For me, it doesn't, no. I mean, I expect from myself to give it everything I have. And so what someone else is expecting from me is like not part of the equation. I'll, that's pretty healthy. I'll do my very best yeah. no matter what. That's a that's a healthy mental approach. I mean, we're we're, I don't know if you saw this this past weekend with Naomi Osaka, like refusing to do press. Yeah, I just saw for that. For her mental health, which made the internet explode. Yeah. But I thought it was really cool that she's like, listen, you know, I'm not a product and I need to protect myself. And why should I expose myself to all of these, you know, reporters who say negative things and that affects my ability to perform. And I think it's created a really interesting conversation about the um, responsibility of the media and the empowerment of the athlete to like say no to this stuff. Like just because you're competing at this level doesn't mean that you owe anybody anything. Yeah, super interesting. She dropped out of the tournament now, I think. Yeah, I think right? so, yeah. 
Yeah. How old is she? Do you know? I don't know. I should know. She's young though. Pretty right? young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was a bold, that was a courageous thing to do, I think. Yeah. You know? And there were a lot of the 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 people on the other side saying, This is your job, you know. Right. This goes with the territory. You should know this. And on some level, yes, you make yourself available to the press, but doesn't that need to be reasonable and within certain parameters? And can't we respect the sovereignty of of the athlete when they say enough is enough? Yeah, probably all the social media changes the dynamics of sports. What is your approach to social media? Like, do you feel like you need to be sharing stuff and you've got sponsors and people that, you know, want you to be kind of out there in that way. Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of, I feel sort of new to it still, um, but I just, it's a cool way to connect with people is how I view it. And so like, I am having fun sharing my story using it because maybe it can connect with someone who, maybe it helps them try something hard, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. And I, I mean, my sponsors are fantastic. So um, I don't have pressure from them to like do a certain thing or. Solomon is your main sponsor. That's correct. Yeah. You know, I just jo- joined the Solomon team. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. Now we got to go I think we're going to announce it tomorrow. I'm, oh. I'm super excited <laughs> about it. Um, no, I, it's hilarious. Like, oh, joining the Solomon family. I'm like, with people like Courtney, like I don't, like I'm (laughs) way in the back. Like I can't even believe that I'm here, but I'm really excited about it. And I love all the people that I've met and gotten to spend a little bit of time with. And everything is just so dialed in and super pro from the gear to just the integrity. And it's been really, it's like a dream come true for me. Oh, that's so cool. So Aaron was supposed, Aaron and Juris were supposed to come out and do the Iron Cowboy thing with me the other day, but their their youngin wasn't feeling well, so they couldn't do it. But I was hoping to see them on Saturday. They're so great. Yeah. I'm so pumped you're on the team. I know, I should should figure out some kind of, I, I feel like I have, I really have to live up to this. In a no. Way. <laughs> um, I got to find some kind of challenge for myself or whatever to legitimize the relationship. What but would it I'm be? I'm really proud. I'm really proud. Would you want to do a backyard race? Maybe. I have to put in quite a bit of work between now and maybe in a year. I have yeah. to get ready. I got to heal my back. If up. you had to choose between a backyard or 200, I think I can wrap my head around a backyard. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's cool about it is that it can be as as hard as your body is able to go, right? And those little breaks become super significant. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And mentally it's not as intimidating. Yeah. It is a cool format. I mean, the first year I was there, I think uh, there was a person who was like, I'm just gonna try to run my first marathon ever today. And they wanted to stay in to get their 26 miles mm-hmm. and then they were gonna feel satisfied. And they ended up doing, I think a hundred K, like 62 right. miles because four miles at a time, they just kept thinking like, oh, I can do one more. Yeah, I can do one more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the, the Goggins challenge where he did the four, four by four by 48 was yeah. a similar thing because it feels bite-sized and you don't realize that it's actually hard when you think about it until you're actually doing it and you're in the middle of the night. Right. And it encourages people to try something that maybe they would have been too intimidated to do if it was signing up for like a really long race. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. I want to I want to think of something like like create my own thing though too. Like yes. I, I think there's something cool about that. And and I, you know if there was a silver lining to the to the pandemic with respect to ultras it was the like backyard the backyard challenge thing that was was Mike Wardian the one who created that. He's the one who went the furthest. To do the virtual backyard, yeah, the virtual thing. Yep, where he went the farthest. Do it. Yeah, it was uh, Dave Proctor and his team in Canada who like put together the event. Yeah, yeah, those things are cool. Yeah, you know, to be able to create community when we couldn't be together. Yeah, oh, it was so, so fun. I know. It felt like we were all hanging out together, even though I was just staring at this little screen. I know, right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, well, it must be nice to feel like you can start traveling now and. The world is opening up a little bit and all yeah. that. It feels awesome. Yeah. Like seeing people doing things. I I think though, like I I kind of liked last year and um like finding appreciation in these trails that were right out my door all the time that I had, you know, gotten mm-hmm. to I'd took taken them for granted, basically. And then being stuck at home all last spring and into the summer, it was like, oh, there's a lot of cool link ups you can actually make if you're just looking for it. Right, it encourages you to explore a little bit more. Yeah, and I saw way more families out on the trails and just getting outside more. So uh-huh. I think it could have some cool things come from it, even though it was definitely not great. Amelia Boone lives in Golden mm-hmm. also, doesn't she? Do you ever go running with her? No, I, I saw her what? during a virtual run I was doing um, and we crossed paths on the trails, but Otherwise we haven't run together. Really, didn't you? But one of the, cause the, the, the backyard ultra, you do it in teams, right? That like the, the US has their team and there was like, wasn't Amelia part of one of yeah, your teams so one we, of the years? That was in person at, uh, in Tennessee in the fall. Yeah. We were able to share a ton of miles there, um, but never in Golden. Uh huh. That's so. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I had this idea, like, oh, you guys are like hanging out and running and having coffee yeah. and doing stuff like that all the time. <laughs> no. No, not recently. Yeah. We should. What is the the ultra running community of the future that you would like to see? Like, where is all this heading? And like, you know, explain to somebody who's listening or watching, who's unfamiliar with this world, like what's great about it and why maybe they should think of stepping into it. Oh man, so many reasons. Just exploring with your feet, like the places you end up with just your body carrying you there is pretty cool. Um, And it feels special to be in the middle of nowhere and to have gotten yourself there on purpose. I think it's the most welcoming community. My The first 50 mile race I did, one of the things was that hooked me was how awesome the people around me were. And I mean, we were in hail and sleet and just awful weather and people were wearing garbage bags as their raincoats because it kept them a little bit warmer. Uh-huh. And all signs pointed to like, we should be hating life right now, but people were just making the best of it. They were hooping and hollering, you know, splashing through puddles, finding like all the joy they could in this miserable situation. Mm. And uh, they're also the most helpful because in that same race, I uh, face planted in a mud puddle and a person 15 yards ahead ran back 
offered their hand and pulled me out of this puddle to keep running together. Uh-huh. Like, where does that happen? Yeah. Like, you went out of your way to help me. It's not just that I was conveniently in your way. Like they turned around and came back for yeah, me. That is something really unique about yeah. the community, I think. And I, I find that in every race. I mean, everyone's ready to help. If you're on the side of the trail having trouble, like everyone who goes by is going to ask, what can I do? How can I help you to get sure. back on track? And you might even hallucinate and you could go blind. Yeah, <laughs> also <Right>? perks. <laughs> can we talk about the hallucinations? Have you ever you hallucinated? Bet? No, uh-uh. Yeah, it's fun. You make some good friends. Yeah. <laughs> I like your, it's for me, I mean, you hear lots of stories of ultra runners having hallucinations, um, but what I love about your hallucinations is your relationship to them. Like they're like your friends or something. Like you're, you're like, oh, this is awesome. There's Mickey Mouse over there doing whatever. Like <laughs> what's going on? Mickey Mouse was throwing out t-shirts uh-huh. to the crowd and he did not throw me one. <laughs> Do you know they're not real when they're happening? So there's a detachment or are you or are you thinking this is really real and it's still cool? For the most part now I can tell they're not real. There are some instances where I have to like take, you know, double or triple takes at something because I can't believe, you know, I'm seeing these people dancing right mm-hmm. there and like what are they doing? Um, but usually I can recognize it's not real. And it means that I'm doing something really cool because these friends don't just come out anytime. Right, it's special. Yeah, Here they come. Yeah. Do you know it's always gonna happen at hour whatever? It's not a certain hour, but it's uh, definitely over 24 hours of effort. And then um, like nighttime for sure brings out more friends. Uh So like UTMB, starts in the evening. And so the night is when you're a little bit fresher. And so I, I made no friends uh-huh. at UTMB because- You're like, um, where are my friends? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though that course would be hard enough and take long enough where I, maybe I would have made them if the night had been at the end section. Uh-huh. Uh, I think you're a very healthy person. <laughs> you know, I'm no shrink, but- <laughs> You know, I think the, the the sort of good natured aspect of your hallucinations speak to somebody who's who's you know a very grounded individual. Like if it was a lot of demons coming out at night and people trying to kill you and stuff, like I know my friend. I feel like you should write them all down and then you could give them give that journal to you know a psychiatrist and say, "Tell me who I am." Yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know if revealing. I want them to analyze it, but I had to. My friend Maggie who does Big's Backyard and all sorts of adventures. She has really scary ones. Like she sees like heads on spears and clowns uh-huh. and stuff. Right. I'm like Maggie, you gotta watch happy movies the day before. <laughs> like <laughs> she's watching it the uh-huh. night before a race. Yeah, Hannibal. Yeah, I'm like, what do you think you're gonna see? <laughs> That's funny. What about the blindness though? T- t- explain that story for people that don't know it. Yeah, I don't recommend it. Um, But what happened was it was a hundred mile race and about 12 miles from the finish, my vision was just getting really foggy on the edges. I thought it was my contact lenses. I thought it was my headlamp dying. Like I I couldn't figure out what was going on, but I for sure noticed I was seeing less and less. And um, by 10 miles out from the finish line, it just had closed in all the way where it was pure white in my field of vision. 
Like I waved my hand in front of my face and I couldn't see my hand, but there were 10 miles left. And so it was like problem solving, figuring out what solutions I had as options to keep moving forward. I didn't ever feel like it was permanent because it had crept in like it did and it didn't come from like falling and hitting my head. It had just like slowly happened Mm -hmm. over time. Mm -hmm. So I determined it was safe. And then if I just stared down at my toes, I could see this tiny arc of the trail in front of them to keep moving as quickly as possible. So you could see enough to you know, gauge your foot placement. Yes, I could see that I was on the trail still. And I knew that section of trail, I knew there weren't like spurs off of it where I would end up lost, you know, or I knew it didn't cliff out anywhere. So I was like, if I can just stay on this single track, it'll be okay. Right, you're not gonna fall off a cliff. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. I mean, some areas, if that happened, I would sit. Like if it's an area where it does cliff out or if I'm unfamiliar with what it does, I would probably have to like make a different choice. Yeah. Um, Cause I'm not trying to go off a cliff anywhere. I like, hope not. Yeah. But then I made it to an aid station with about six miles left. And uh, the volunteers were very kind and sent one of their aid station workers to run next to me. Mm-hmm. And she narrated the trail to me then. And so she was like, there's oh my God. big rocks on your left. The trail is turning slightly to the right. And it just made it so much easier because I could like sort of then predict with my body where I was going next. When I was by myself, it was, I was falling everywhere because if you can't see in front of your feet, I mean, I was landing on every rock and root and just tripping on everything. I don't even know where to begin with this. So yeah, I don't know if you all, should, maybe we just leave I mean, that. <laughs> you're like, all right, moving on. Next, next, <laughs> next question. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> First of all, you're wearing contacts for like days on end, right? Probably not a smart idea. Yes. You probably stopped doing that after that, right? No, because I can't see without them. But you can get like, I'm blind as a bat. You just get glasses. Oh, I could do that. Yeah, right. I've heard LASIK makes it, happen more often. Mm, It's corneal edema is what's happening, right? So essentially your body's so, you know, under so much stress that you're having this immune response creating inflammation in your eyes that that is crowding out your ability to see. Like it's basically pressure on the optic nerve. Yeah, and they, I mean, best diagnosis or reason they said is probably that and it was dusty and smoky air and uh-huh. like rubbing my eyes, maybe, maybe like just a, aggravated yeah, an allergic them. response. Yeah. Um, but the 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 frame of mind when that happens to not freak out and say, I gotta stop, like I can't see, you know? <laughs> and you're like, oh, it's good. We'll just keep going. Like, <laughs> I think it's gonna be okay. <laughs> you know? Oh, it was so great. I had a guide, like that's not normal. <laughs> <laughs> Right? You recognize that. Um, yes, and I like I don't recommend people just do this. Like maybe make the choice for you if it ever happens to your uh-huh. eyes. Like figure out how you feel about all the factors, you know, but But when it happened, you didn't know what corneal edema was. Like you, it, it, now if it happens again, you're like I this has happened to yeah. me before or I read something about it, but when it was occurring in real time, most people would have just freaked out. Yeah, I think um, 
in general, how I try to stay is just without emotions in situations like that. So like, what are the facts of this situation? And then what can I actually control about it? Mm -hmm. How long before your eyesight returned? It was probably like five or six hours after the finish. Mm. That's a long time to it was be sitting long. there. Like at hour four, like is, yeah. <laughs> is this gonna, is this was, gonna work out? I was very happy when it came yeah. back. I went to the hospital. So, I mean, they checked me out. They they weren't worried about the eyes. Oh, okay, so, that, that's helpful. Yeah. So what do you do? Is there anything you do now to help prevent that? Like drops or anything like that? Yeah, I do eye drops um, pretty much through every ultra. Now I'll have them in my pack or I'll use them at aid stations and then protective eyewear. So uh-huh. just trying to keep out as much dust as but possible. But still with the contacts. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know, I, I don't, maybe I could try glasses. Have you never worn glasses? Not really. Oh, I've never really worn contacts. Yeah. Maybe we can, we can switch. Just do a swap. I'll start wearing contacts and you, I'll give you my glasses. Yeah, and perfect. We'll see how that works out. <laughs> maybe I'll get like really good at ultras and then you'll, your back will start hurting you. <laughs> Thank you, sounds like a good trade. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We can wrap this up in a few minutes, but I, one thing I we're, we're starting to lose the thread. Um, one thing I'm interested in is as somebody who's out there pushing the envelope in your sport, um, showing the rest of us what's possible and breaking all these boundaries and barriers, how does that affect your mental disposition and how you approach other facets of your life. Like how does it spill over and how you think about possibilities and potential in areas that are outside of running? I think it's possible in every area outside of running. I'm not like seeking it in any other area right now, but I think what it's shown me is that like people are selling themselves short and setting their bars too low of of what they could actually do if they went all in on something, you know, whatever they're psyched about to just see what happens if they invest a little more time and energy into it. And what about for yourself? For myself. So you deflected a little bit there? What? Because I was asking you about you too. I never do that. Yeah, (laughs) I know. Uh, Like, am I pursuing? Am I? Well, right now you're all in on running, right? Yeah. This is 100, 110% all your focus and all your time. Um, but there are other interests I'm sure that you have and you're married and you have a relationship and I'm sure there's other goals that maybe you're thinking about for your life after running or in conjunction with your running. Talk a little bit about that and how you kind of see your life unfolding. I don't know how I see it unfolding, because you're just you're right where your feet are. Yeah. What you I know is you wake up in the morning and decide. Yeah. I am having like I love this chapter that mm-hmm. it's in right now and so just enjoying that fully and knowing like chapters don't go on forever. So this ride, you know, will end at some point and mm-hmm. what comes next, I'm not sure, but I hope whatever you know page it flips to next, I can be just as excited about finding out what's possible. Right, but you don't have a sense of what that might look like. I don't, no. Do you think I should? Not necessarily. I think you should be you. Okay. You know, I think it's working out fine. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, I, no, I, I think that's an interesting that you asked me that because people ask me that, you know, what, where do you, what's the next thing? Or where do you see yourself in five years? And I don't really approach my life that way. I really don't think about those things. And then I feel guilty because they're like, here's my five-year plan. Like, yeah. you know, should I have a five-year plan? I don't know. Do you, so you don't now. have a five-year plan? No. You have a weekly plan. I have a schedule of things that I'm doing, but everything that ends up on the calendar is a reflection of me. I mean, I'm in a very privileged place where I have the opportunity to seek out things that that interest me and pursue my curiosity, whether that's in sport or with the podcast or other creative outlets. And not everybody has that, you know, kind of life. So I'm very grateful for that. But you know, it's all about like, oh, this is cool. Let's see what this is about. Rather than like, I'm working towards this thing. Yeah. And there's a destination and it's gonna look like that when I get there. Like yeah. I don't function that way. Yeah. That's cool. Me neither. Yeah. I don't I don't get that. I don't <laughs> well, but at the same time, you do like, well, you 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 say these are the races I'm gonna do this year and I'm working towards my best performance of them. So they're anchored. You're, you, those are like the anchors and then your life kind of orients around that. But within that, there's so much opportunity to you know, be flexible and intuitive about your approach. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. One of the things that you see in, in ultra running is, is uh, a problem with longevity in careers. Like you see athletes who come onto the scene, they crush it. They have a, a, a window of time, a couple of years where they're indestructible. They're just winning everything in sight. And then something happens and they can't quite match those performances anymore. I've seen it mostly in men time and time and time again. And I've often thought like, what is causing that? Or why is that? And I'm not sure anybody knows the answer to that, but obviously you're aware that this is the case. So do you think at all about how you can protect um, the longevity of what you're trying to accomplish? Like, do you put any effort into that or thought? Yeah, I wanna be doing this sport as long as possible. And uh, I mean, my schedule, my race schedule four years ago would have been an ultra every month because mm -hmm. I love it so much. And I just wanted to do this thing I love. And also I felt good doing it. So why not sign up for more? Um, but have wisened a little bit over the years to uh, ease back on asking my body to go to that place so many times a year mm -hmm. and also, I mean, I had an injury a few years ago that taught me to not neglect the small things like core work or um, stretching, foam rolling, like things like that. Yeah. I now implement because it's this tiny change I can do to maybe keep me in the sport longer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I remember when you were on when you were on Rogan. He asked you about stretching and you're yeah. like, eh, I should, probably should, but yeah. I don't really. So there's a change, right? <laughs> yeah. You're growing wiser. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> but it's life's lumps that force you to, you know, make those adjustments. Yeah, for right? sure. Yeah. Well, soon the diet, we'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can talk we'll about it. We'll see. No, I'm not getting involved. Like you're doing, you're doing fine. I, you know. And are you still like you don't know no supplements or anything like that? No, nothing. Just candy bars. Yeah, mostly mm -hmm. jelly beans. Jelly beans. Yeah. That's the fruity the, fruity candy is my favorite, and it's getting vitamins in there somehow. So. Uh -huh. 
And then when you're out training, like with a hydration pack, what is it? It's Tailwind, like what is your go-to? Tailwind, Honey Stinger. Um, and then if it's a race, I'll probably have some mashed potatoes in my pack. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if it's a really long race, then it's like any other carbs, pizza, yeah. burgers, pancakes, uh-huh. pierogies, really good. McDonald's French fries. So good. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the salt, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Really any form of potato tastes great during uh-huh. an ultra. Yeah. They work well. Yeah. They're effective for sure. Um, well, I'm excited to see these races uh, unfold with you. Thank you. It's pretty cool. Which, uh, which shoe are you gonna wear? Probably the S-Lab Ultra 3. Uh-huh. Have you tried it? I haven't tried that one yet. I've been running in the, the Ultra Glide, the new shoe that's about to come out. So good. Yeah, it's great, right? Yeah. Enjoying that. I like the, the Sense very much too. Those are what I'm wearing right now, I think. The um, Sense Ride. Yeah, they're great. Uh, I need, I, I gotta try those S-Labs though. I haven't, I haven't run in those. I'm so happy you're on the team. Mm, thank you. That's I'm very, exciting. I'm very proud. I feel unworthy, so I <laughs> no. wanna live up to it. Um, You're very worthy. Yeah, I'm, you know, I was nervous and awkward and scared myself to talk to you (laughs) because I have so much respect for everything that you do and you're such a joy and pleasure to speak to. And uh, I I wish you only the best. Well, thank you. Yeah, and I look forward to spending a little bit more time with you and getting to know you and um, being a cheerleader for your success. Thank you. Yeah, let's so. let's uh, run some trails today. I would love to do that. <laughs> my, my guys here, I got a lot of work to do. I don't know if I can talk 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 my way out of the office, but I'll see what I can do. Yeah, they won't know. Um, cool. So uh, if people wanna connect with you, what's the best way for them to find you on the internet? Basically, if you type in her name in Google, there's plenty. There. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on Instagram maybe. Yeah, at in, on Instagram at Courtney Dualter. Mm-hmm. Awesome. It would be great. All right, well, come back after these races and, and tell me about it. Yeah, All I right. would love that. Cool. Peace. Plants. And jelly beans. <laughs>